0: not to be on the video. We're going to be spotlighting our speakers, but we do want you to be in the chat and we are going to be live on Facebook and in other channels too. So look for that afterwards if you want to come back to the content. (laughs) Someone is coming to us from their car. That's where we are. Focus, (laughs) Sarita. This is the industry team meeting. This is why uh, it is. it feels very good to be in these forums. Friday Forum is all about being here, we do this for you. And it is all from your friends at PRSA <laughs> Silicon Valley. And if you're not familiar with us, check us out on all the socials as well as our website. And if you'd like to get more connected and work with us, that's right, we're volunteer and we do this because we love you. Um, please do get connected to us, DM us right here in the chat. Or find us everywhere, yet you are on social media. Um, thanks again to everybody for joining. And um, I'm actually going to just let this go for a couple more minutes. I want to make sure everybody can get in. Uh, I understand that people are still joining. Claire, welcome. Alejandra, Sarita, love that you're coming in from the car. Francis, Kevin, we haven't met yet, but I hope we do on LinkedIn. Uh, recruiters, Um, Thank you for all of you being here guests. Uh, Please do put your own LinkedIn in the chat so people can DM you directly and they, or, and, or go to your websites. I know that you guys spend a lot of time on that as well. Want to make sure that we're able to connect you. Thanks very much, everybody. And what I'm gonna do at the same time, welcome, welcome. It's good to have you. Here's who you're going to hear from today. You're going to hear from Judy Cushman. Judith Cushman and Associates, uh, a well-known firm. Jennifer Deutsch, Russell Reynolds, Kim Hunter, KLH and Associates, and Peter McDermott from Corn Ferry are all here for you, talking about the jobs market. And guess what? This is going to be moderated by one of our board members, Karen Smythe. I see you out there. Let's get you pinned up and let's get this conversation started. Uh, but first, I want to make sure that you all know Karen Smythe. Not only is she the executive producer uh, for PRSA Silicon Valley's Friday Forum. And we've done almost 70 of these. 70, 70 um, <laughs> Tons of content on the Internet podcasts. You can always come back to this. Don't forget. Easy to find us. Um, Karen. Um, Thank you for joining us since I think you started working with us right in 2020. And yeah, you've been it was. For a while, doing, you're heading up content for North, Northwest Venture Project. Northwest. Right? Uh-huh.
1: Northwest Venture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, in that
0: world, too. <laughs> uh, why do you do this? Tell us why, and then let's get to your intros for our guests.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you, Vanessa, and uh welcome to our guests and uh thank you to everyone. I can see, I love seeing all these faces online as well joining us today. Um, we have an incredible crew of recruiters. Um, I mean, it's the dream team here for in the communications industry. So we've got Judy Cushman, she is very active in PRSA Silicon Valley. Uh, she supports our sponsorship program as well as DEI program. She's president of her own firm, Judith Cushman and Associates, and we'll be putting her LinkedIn as well in the chat so you can connect with her. We've got Jennifer Doyle, She's an executive search and assessment consultant with Russell Reynolds. Uh, she's got great experience as well on the, the client side working for Visa as well as Fleischman Hillard. We've got Peter McDermott. He is the senior client partner for corporate affairs at Corn Ferry. And uh he's a seasoned communications recruiter um, based in New York. Uh, and Kim Hunter, he is uh, let's see, I'm trying to think if this is the second or a couple of times you've been you've joined us. Um he is the managing partner at KLH and Associates, and he is chairman and CEO of the LeGrant Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization providing minorities with scholarships and professional development opportunities. So again, dream team. So this is this is the place to be right now. Um, I'm going to start off with I know we were just before we were kicking this off today, we were talking about the quote unquote, new normal. And um, I'd love to hear from you um, what has been really the most dramatic shift uh, in recruiting in the last, I guess, year and a half? Uh, I don't know. Judy, do you want to
2: start out? Sure. Um, I, I also have to say I'm a little bit of a renegade. So I, um, to my mind, what's happened is there's been a huge shift in, in what I call the power center in the recruiting field. And that is... It's the power of the individual as opposed to the power of the hiring organization. Mm-hmm. And as a result of this quote new normal, which I, I see I keep saying drop the normal. Yeah <laughs> it's new. We are dealing with uh, just the amazing mm-hmm. ability of individuals to know and negotiate for what they want and for what they need. And these are now different negotiating points as a result of people becoming comfortable with the way that the hybrid workplace has evolved. And my point amongst all these things is because it empowers individuals to to make these demands and to be smart about the kinds of opportunities that they need to prepare for that they that people who are job searching have a greater responsibility for being thoughtful about what they need to ask for
0: mm-hmm. because
2: i have i call it be careful the chinese province uh, um the the, uh, the chinese phrase that says be careful what you wish for because you'll get it and i think that's my really thematically the the shift that i think we have to be very joyful about on the one hand, but very responsible about on the other. And I think it's it really, really, and what we're asking for now is different. So the whole this is normal, this is now normal, and this is new. So that's my 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 beginning. Let's look at it differently yeah. now.
1: Yeah. So, um, Jennifer, do you have anything else to add on top of that? Oh, your sound might be off. How's that better? Here we go. Here, Here we
3: go. go. Earlier, I'm sorry for that. Um, no, I would just echo everything that Judith said. I think it is very much a candidate's market. There is a ton of choice out there. It feels like a, a switch flipped about 18 months ago and communication mm. became even more important as a function than I think it already, already was. Um, and so there's been a lot of choice. there's been a lot of movement in the market. And I think lots of folks have, have made the decision over the past 18 to 24 months to change roles and move into different things that are maybe just mean different things to them now kind of at the, the point where we are um so it's been incredibly busy i wouldn't be surprised if lots of folks on this call have gotten lots of calls and lots of outreach from companies and internal recruiters as well it's just been very busy so there's a lot of choice um indicator yeah. right now
1: awesome so so kim how has um that changed your approach when you're working with candidates
4: well i'll be quite honest there's a slight Difference. I believe in everything that my two colleagues said prior to me speaking. But mm-hmm. I will tell you, at the end of the day, clients are looking for skills and looking for top talent. Uh-huh. And I think there's a misnomer in the marketplace that as a result of COVID, that every job that comes onto the market is flexible. In other words, if the job sits at the company, i.e. the CEO sits in New York and the candidate sits in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, that the client is open to having that candidate sit in North Carolina. That is not true. It really depends on the company. It really depends on the search. I'm doing multiple searches across the country with various companies and agencies. And at the end of the day, there is less flexibility in terms of where you sit. So I like to to t- t- I like to really really put a focus on it really depends on the client because uh-huh. I think I'm dealing with a lot of candidates who think they can sit in um Bilepsy, Mississippi and the can- and the client sits in Memphis Tennessee and the client is okay with that. That is not necessarily true. It really varies from client to client. So I like to really manage expectations when searches are taking place. And while there is a opportunity for candidates to have that driving force to drive what they want, at the end of the day, it's a competitive market. And while the candidate thinks they are the hottest thing that exists in the market, there will always be competition.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So um, Peter, I'd like to ask you that, um, do you think that that that, uh, remote work, very. I mean, the, as far as companies go, do you think that that is more dependent upon how senior the person is? I mean, is, I would imagine possibly if you're more junior, they might be have more flexibility, or is that not the case?
5: I just think it's more case by case, depending on the organization, you know, half of our clients are back in the office, we have to tell candidates that they need to be fully vaccinated, show us the card before the interview if they want to go in for an in person interview and, you know, we we just have to be very direct and, and cards on the table about that. The other bucket, though, won't even put a uh, location on the position description, which was unheard of before, you know, COVID. So that is a bit of a shift with some organizations that are like, you know, deciding that this is a time to let up on some overhead, get rid of some unneeded real estate and, you know, provide flexibility and it's helping with the talent wars because there are folks with families that want to stay with their school systems and, you know, there are remote opportunities, but it's not, you know, it's not all of them. There are a lot of them that are back in person and, you know, are, are on the other side of the spectrum.
1: Yeah. And and what about, I'm going to, I'm going to continue this with you. Um What about uh geography-based compensation? Is that, I know that was, Initially, a lot of talk was around that, but I haven't heard anything recently about that. It seems like there was a bit of a blowback.
5: For anyone, we did hear about organizations where if they did go remote and they found out that people had moved far away and were no longer in Manhattan, that unless they came back to the geography, they were gonna have an adjustment on compensation. Uh, I, like you, didn't hear about anyone following through on that. And it may be because we are all, you know, we all have so many open headcounts within our organizations, and you know, no one wants to rock the boat too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we're, we I, I did not see any action there either.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just curious about any of the other panelists if you have experienced that with clients where they've where they've said that they will pay somebody who, like you said, is working in Raleigh, North Carolina, that salary versus the Silicon Valley salary. Kim, have you heard that?
4: Uh, yes. Uh, I did a search for a company that's in, based in these, literally the Silicon Valley, but the candidate, the my client agreed to have my candidate sit in Charlotte, North Carolina. And therefore there was a, a compensation adjustment because the role sat in Silicon Valley, but the client was open to having this high skilled candidate sit where they were, but hmm. they had to do a salary adjustment because the cost of living in Charlotte is radically different than Silicon Valley
1: <laughs> for sure for sure
4: Charlotte's yeah. getting up there though
1: <laughs> um, and what about uh, company benefits to compensate for that um, Jennifer did you have any do you have any thoughts on that like I think that sometimes a lot of companies are getting a little bit more creative in how they attract talent uh, what have you been seeing
3: um. It's um, it's a great question. I, I think there's still a mix. I think it depends on the company and how much of that is kind of baked into the DNA. Do they have the ability to do new and cool and different things? Um, you know, frankly, through this process too, some interesting things have come up where or this time timeframe, um, you know, some clients you, you find out they already offer certain things. you are like, wow, I had no idea. We had a client recently who said, oh, we have a car allowance. We actually give you a car allowance. Nobody does that. Who does that anymore, yeah. right? So just some really interesting part. And if you have to commute and you're commuting a longer distance, you don't live in this town, but you live in three towns over, maybe that's helpful. So it's worth asking the question. I think um, lots of employers too have turned to other ways kind of in the course of all of this to say, um, are, are there ways that we can help people with their physical health, their mental health? What are, what are some of the other additional programs that a company might be offering to be supportive and helpful as, as we all transition through whatever this is?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and Judy, what about you in terms of uh, compensation or some of these benefits? Are you seeing that
2: among your clients? Well, what 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 I advise uh, at the get-go uh, for both Candidates and clients is, is a very thorough discussion of what they offer or what their range is and what the issues are for the individual. And I advise uh the client about some special considerations that an employee might potential employee might need and have they any flexibility to adjust and do that early. Mm-hmm. Um and I also um find that. Um, if there is some differences or some special needs, clients are more open if you start at the beginning stage and lay it on the table, and get the individual thinking about, you know, yeah, I could ask for some of these things that really would make a difference, mm-hmm. you know, and in some cases, it's 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 set. It, we solve it by. Something that the client is already familiar with or knows how to handle. So, for example, in some cases, what they will do is is tell me, and I don't know if they'll put numbers or anything to it, but they will have sort of a sort of a, a little pot of of funding, you know. And so, when the time comes to sort of negotiate, you know, for what is directly helpful to that individual or that family or whatever, that's when that comes to play. But we've already laid the groundwork essentially for customizing around the needs of both the organization and the individual. And I think that's one of the trends that I think I'm seeing just as a, as a way to handle so many of the ways that people are now looking at work and looking at what they want. And sometimes those things are will translate into dollars because of special childcare situations or special travel situations, but they are customized. And there seems to be enough of an extra sort of a funding or an extra need and an attitude about having that read right at the ready that allows for that flexibility to, 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 to end up being a successful negotiation. Yeah. I think that's a very good thing.
1: Yeah. So and in terms of compensation, how is it um, – Let's see. Kim, I'll put this at you. Um, How is it that you are coaching? I guess what I'm saying is if there's a client that you have where you're trying to tell them, you know, hey, you're off the mark here in terms of what you're asking for, how do you counsel that
4: employer? Um, i'll i'll say this i think that's a very important question and i'll go back to 2020 at the height of really the change that took place because of the pandemic uh a fortune 200 had retained me to find a managing director of comms the role sat in dallas and they made an assumption that everybody would be thrilled to work for the brand and that they would be willing to take uh, without disclosing the company, um, it would be pretty easy to figure it out, um, that the benefits that are associated with this company would be so overwhelming that every candidate would be thrilled to go work for the company. We, the, the client made two offers to two of my candidates. Both declined the offer because what happened was Twitter, Google, and Microsoft came into the picture and made counter offers that were so significant. The client made an assumption that the brand they worked for was going to be so more important that they had really the the upper hand. And in reality, I had to counsel the client to say, this is a new day, a new market. I want to be real clear. This was a racially diverse candidate. And they had made an intentional, they were intentional to hire a managing director that was going to be from a racial ethnic group. I brought forth candidates. They were very happy with the candidates. They made offers to the first candidate. That candidate counter, the candidate came back with a counter from another company. They then went on with that other company. The second candidate came through, they got another counter offer. At the end of the day, the client and myself had to walk away Mm -hmm. from partnering because they could not get to the space that the marketplace had truly changed. And there was a great demand for racially diverse talent. And therefore, at the end of the day, they did nothing with it. Wow. This is a reality. I mean, I think companies sometimes have this notion that the brand they work for is going to be appealing to every candidate. And (laughs) while the brand is a great brand, don't get me wrong, it's a brand I patronize significantly, but at the end of the day, the market had shifted. And I couldn't get the company to pivot to where the market was. And it was really... It, it was it was an eye opener not only for me it was an eye opener for the client but uh-huh. we had came to a conclusion that it was best that we both go separate ways and it was it was very amicable I was comfortable the client was comfortable to this very day they're good people um, I have nothing but high regards for them but they couldn't get there at all they couldn't imagine that the marketplace now keep in mind this was 2020 it's now 2022. But that same company did absolutely nothing to re engage anyone to find that talent that they were looking for.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, um, Jennifer, I'm curious, have you had that experience? And what do you, has there been an evolution um, in 2022 versus 2020? Um, you know, I don't know if there's been
3: an evolution from a comp perspective, but I do think that the, the dialogue with a client at the very beginning of a process to say where do you think you're going to come in from a comp perspective is really important. I think one of the one of the key roles that that we all can play in that process to, is to say we know the market, and so comparably, here's where someone at that level in this kind of a company at this sort of a level would sit, right? And I think having a having a conversation very frankly about um, where compensation is headed and how that's even changed and can give them, um, can give clients a view over the last couple of years to say, here's how things have increased in the market. It's a hard conversation, but it's not one you want to have halfway uh, or even at the end of a process. You need mm-hmm. to kind of cover that at the beginning. Um, it's an important conversation to have with candidates too. And I know Karen, that's on your list to talk about as well, but um, it's a, it's a pretty key, pretty key conversation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll, I'm, anyone who wants to answer this question, I'm kind of curious about what are you seeing different patterns in the hiring sectors? Um, this is a question from David Vosbrink, whether in tech, whether in retail or public sector, is there is there um, one sector that is uh, showing some different uh, or playing against the trend, I guess?
5: Hmm. I'm seeing more volume and just you know it being busy across every sector you know every time I I say that (laughs) something is going to be like you know in 2020 last time that I was on one of these was I I, I was looking back it was August 2020 so we were you know six months into this and now we're two years into this and back then it was like uh, cautiously optimistic and and now it's been more of a you know everything is booming. It's going to stay this way for at least a, a little bit longer. And, um, you know, there, there are going to be industries that get disrupted out there, but, you know, like mm-hmm. things like retail, retail does not seem to be going away, even with COVID and all of the disruptions that they've had, you know, that that's an area where we're still seeing a lot of activity. I don't know if I would have seen, uh, you know, said that two years ago confidently.
1: Wow. Yeah. Um, so what about, um, I think we, we can talk a lot about this one, is LinkedIn. Um, so what are, you know, how is it, and I'd love to hear from all of you on this one, um, how is it uh, that you use LinkedIn? Uh, Judith, do you want to
2: start? I think I have the most controversial approach. <laughs> <to LinkedIn. laughs> I, I, I've said, is LinkedIn a strategy or is it a tool?
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And in my mind, it's a tool. And I think in too many minds it's a strategy. And um, I see you—you nodding. Yes, absolutely.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I will give you an example. I was quoted. I, you know, I was interviewed for on one of these things because, and I explained how I use link, how I didn't use LinkedIn. I particularly did not use LinkedIn. And I'll give you this because I think it's an important story. Um, I paid. I was very curious, and I started. It was also in January, and I think anyone is who's really curious about. It, so I started to, I, 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 I love the life sciences. It's just a, just an area that I just really enjoy doing. And I, and I love the, the sciences. Anyway, so, so I noticed all of a sudden these big VP jobs were posted on LinkedIn. And I started to just watch it. And it started right in the beginning of January. And in the space of time that, you know, just a few weeks, I counted 40. 40 life science jobs at high levels posted on LinkedIn. And at first I was really impressed with the job descriptions. You know, they would, I said, Oh wow, people really have it. And then I realized they read the same. Hmm. 40 jobs. And then I got a call from a client in the life sciences. And I said, We are not going to LinkedIn. Why would you go and compete? There are 40 other companies looking for the same people at the same time. And so the point is, LinkedIn is one tool. There's a way to use it is you can use it for education purposes. You can use it to figure out what the market is doing. You can figure out who's looking. You can figure out what categories are busy because you don't, and you can say, if you're interested in that category, don't go to that company, but go to that category. And I'll bet you that, even though there were three other companies in that category that you could put your hands on, they're probably thinking about hiring, but they're not on LinkedIn yet. And they don't have 50 people, you know, they, they don't have the job posted in zillion people applying and so forth. So anyway, what happened is this particular client, the job was so specific that I reverse engineered the search Mm -hmm. and I didn't go near LinkedIn. I just identified the very small world that this company was in. And I went after every single company that I thought would make sense. I had nothing to do with it. So LinkedIn, And I told my clients, I said, there's no reason to go to LinkedIn. And they just accepted that and said that was the end of it. So LinkedIn is useful. Watch it. You certainly can get involved with it if you're job seeking. Um, But you have to recognize it is one tool among many, and it is not a strategy. That's my opinion.
1: I see a lot of head (laughs) nods.
4: I agree with Judith 100%. I'm amazed at some of the internal recruiters. I don't think any of my colleagues who's on this right now utilize LinkedIn as a strategy. It is more of a tactic than a strategy. Um, Clients are hiring us for our brain trust and our database. And as a result, that's what they hire us for. In most cases, when I'm retaining... A client is hiring me for a specific role with for a specific candidate, and I'm able to align that candidate or candidates with the skill sets of that role. And LinkedIn is a very effective tool, but it is not the be all.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so what are the other tools that you would use, Kim?
4: Well, my database, I have an enormous database. And let's be honest, Karen, the reason why I created my executive search firm 11 years ago this month Mm -hmm. was because too many of my colleagues who's on this call right now, maybe not the individuals, but the companies reached out to me for decades, asking me for talent that was specifically racially diverse. And I'm giving up that info Mm -hmm. and that info translates into dollars. And then I had an epiphany and said, I no longer can give up my intellectual property, and there's a dollar value to it. I'm telling you, if I had to do this all over again, I would have done it 20 years ago, not 11 years ago. But at the end of the day, it's the database. Mm -hmm. I have a database that is extensive. Now, keep in mind, I've been at this almost 40 years of my career, literally. So if I've been in it, and I'm a practitioner, so I actually do the work that when companies are hiring me. So if I wasn't doing what I was doing, I would be a CCO or CMO somewhere else. So the key is that connection with the industry mm-hmm. plays a big factor for my clients. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Point. Point. Um Jennifer, how about you in terms of LinkedIn? Or, or obviously you've probably got an extensive database as well. So what is how how do you balance those? Or do you even bother with LinkedIn? Very additive, right?
3: I think from a recruiter perspective can be very helpful and informative. we tend to use it more for research. Typically, mm-hmm. the people that we're reaching out to, we know anyway, um, but it's sometimes helpful just to see if you don't have a resume on somebody, or you're trying to understand, and somebody just make a hot, it's a good research tool. So the flip of that is obviously the advice would be keep it updated, mm-hmm. um, put the appropriate amount of content and context in there about what you do and what you have done. It's, it's, it's very helpful if a recruiter doesn't know you, that's typically the first place they'll go if you're not in the database, but it's additive. It's not the only tool and
1: it's not the primary tool. Mm-hmm. hmm Peter, what would you say
5: about that? So, you know, I, I agree with everything that's been said in terms of, you know, if, if one of the one of the reasons why we have a bit of career security is because a lot of internal recruiters only use LinkedIn and it's like, you know, throwing a bunch of wet noodles at the wall to see what sticks. It's mm-hmm. not really, you know, building a relationship and, you know, c- cultivating something where, you know, you're matching up an opportunity with someone and their, you know, career motivations and what they want to do. Um, you know, anyone who's working in in this kind of executive search or retained for a project, it is very specific and you can't just, you know, cast a wide net and, and hope something something sticks. Um So I, you know, I recommend to use LinkedIn to build your own personal profile, Uh, you know, showcase your, you know, if you have research or thought leadership or, you know, a perspective to share, it's very easy to reshare other people's thought leadership, uh, you you know, and adding your own comment to that, Uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of what I do in terms of just, just sharing other publications out there. Um, And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interactive, it's great, but it's not really the, the end all be all for finding a new role. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it it is what it is. So, yeah,
1: yeah. So, no, I think that's a really good point about um, definitely, you know, having a point of view online and giving something for people to to get an idea of who you are. So, um, so yeah. in terms of of this database that you know we talk about, um, how is it that someone can even get on your radar if if they're looking? Um, Kim, do you want to? chime oh, in there cuz I know you sure. said you have a very extensive database but I want to make I want to know I want to let candidates know how they can be really seen if if they're you know not in your database.
4: Well, one is cultivating and I'll use that term that Peter said is cultivating relationships. I always tell people it is important to not always reach out to an executive recruiter when you're looking for a job. Mm-hmm. It is always very helpful to spend quality time with executive recruiters to talk about their vision their skill sets, some additional courses they may have taken, some additional executive training they have taken, an additional degree that they may have earned, or a promotion that has taken, or just to keep us posted. Um, I, I got to believe at the end of the day that if somebody's interested in learning about moving forward in their career, there's certain avenues that they can take. I mean, I'm a senior practitioner, been at this longer than I care to, but I'm always reaching out to colleagues, whether they have retired, For example, Mike O'Neill is one of my dream human beings in the industry. Mike O'Neill retired from American Express. Mike and his wife are close friends of mine. I keep in touch with him. He always wants to know what's going on in the industry. And he will reach out to me and says, Kim, there's a gentleman that was on my staff at one time who is looking to make a shift but I wanna be be very confidential about this to get some insights what's happening in the marketplace. But part of it is really keeping your ears and eyes open to what is out there in the marketplace. And I tell people a really, my ideal candidate is a candidate that has self-awareness. Someone who clearly knows who he or she is, know their strengths, and their developmental areas, because at the end of the day, we all have developmental areas. And I'm always baffled when I'm talking to the candidates when they reach out regarding a search I'm doing and they talk about why they're the best candidate for the job. <laughs> and when I'm asking deep questions about the spec sheet, the spec sheet that's been created by me and my company, and how does that align with your specific skill set? And talk to me about where you have gaps. And when I'm always amazed at candidates who feel they have no gaps, (laughs) and then I have to step back and say, can we talk about my gaps? So I then walk through my three specific gaps of my career, and I said, these are mine, and I'm comfortable articulating it, and you're telling me you have none? That really tells me a lot about the candidate.
0: I love that. Um, I just stopped the meeting, Karen. It's like the mic got dropped right there. Ah, <laughs> That's what happened. Okay.
1: I <laughs> know. Um, I love mm-hmm. that because there's authenticity there.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. You know, and uh, why should somebody jump into a job and say, I can do everything. And then once they start going, you know, I really don't like doing the, some of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, who who does that benefit? Mm-hmm. So, um you know, I, I'd love to hear, um, you know, Judith, how do you counsel somebody like that who's saying, I can do everything? You know, how do you, how do
4: you I get go after
2: them? them. <laughs> you what? I go after them. I mean, I really, I, I'm, I, there are people that I really feel that I may not, they may not be right for what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And they may not be anyone I would ever, you know, consider fully qualified, but I, I feel that I can be helpful to that person by being honest about my insights about them, and I am fearless about that part.
0: Um, and
2: I will, I will honestly tell someone, you know, that doesn't make sense. Be, you know, I'll say, well, you said this over here, and now this has come up, and I don't, I don't see that that fits. And I think mm-hmm. this is this partly what is going on. And um, I just, I, I am just clear as a bell about the need for clarity and honesty. And I will not hesitate, you know, in a conversation to get to the heart of it. And um, I think most people who've who've encountered me that way will tell you that I really don't mince words, but I don't do it in a nasty way. I do it in a, this is my perception of the situation. I'm curious, could you explain this? and i go right to what it is that's inconsistent or what it is that doesn't match
4: mm-hmm.
2: and and i offer suggestions i think people you know should hear what could help them in, be better mm-hmm. and and understand what what an issue is and i have done this i'm i'm mostly curious about people so i will do it to anybody i mean you know i remember talking to somebody who was this founder of this company and like all over this, all over the world and so forth and I said, so how did somebody from this small town in, you know, in a foreign country end up being you? <laughs> and just, he ended up being the founder of one of these huge companies. I said, it sounds so interesting. How could I? And he just, you know, he could after he caught his breath for a moment, because I, that was a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. He said, yes, that, that is a major change that I made in my life. Yeah. And I made it for these reasons. Good. Then we got to it. So that's an example.
1: Excellent. So so David has a great question. Advice for people early in their careers who aren't in that target range for recruiters. I think we talked about your network, but you know, what are the steps that uh someone who's a little more earlier in their career should be doing to expand that network? Um Peter, do you want to take that?
5: Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, well, I mean, this goes hand in hand with how to get in front of us and how to get in the database and get to know us. You know, the, the best time to get to know, you know, an executive search network or even your peer network will that will be just as supportive in terms of, a you know, a career search uh, is when you're not looking and when you are early on in your career. And, you know, when we look at most of our successful placements, there are people that we've known for years and years that have said no to, you know, the first nine things that we called them about, but we've just, you know, had that. That back and forth for a while, and you know when we find that right fit, it, it's a it's a truly perfect fit, and it works out really well because we've had that long term relationship. Uh, earlier in your career, I mean, you. you you should network with us, but again, going back to the the peer relationship, uh-huh. uh, you know, career mentors, folks that help you with your, uh, you know, your your transitions. They're not always at an executive search firm. Uh, you know, a lot of times you you do lean on your consultancy network, or your agency network, or you, you know, you get a, involved with different industry groups. Uh, this is a very supportive community. It's not as competitive as if you were in, you know, finance or something. And uh, there's a lot of support to found, to be found there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Jennifer, did you have anything to add to that as well? No, I, 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 just just more of the same. Frankly, I think the the
3: networking and the getting involved in groups and raising your hand to participate in certain things, um, you know, even an an opportunistic introduction at an event or as part of a part of a broader conversation, even to get advice or feedback I mean that's just the way to start the dialogue and even if the roles aren't right or you're earlier in a career today that doesn't mean two years down the road there won't be something perfect for you or one of us could have a client that says you know I wouldn't use your firm to do XY or Z because maybe it's a more junior role but do you know anybody who's got great social media background or is a great media relations person who might be more at this level um, and it's it's just good to be kind of part of that network and part of that consideration set across yeah. the board
1: yep yeah, um, we have another great question in chat. Um, Judith Garcia is asking about advice for new college grads in PR and communications. Someone who has no experience in, you know, the job market yet, other than you know they've got coursework and semester projects. They don't have the the networking, you know, dialed in yet. Um, Kim, I know that you work with a lot of uh, up and coming. PR uh, folks, what would you say to that person?
4: Let's start with PRSA. This is a PRSA function. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day is, is building those relationships, get involved with the local chapter. And then when I say get involved, I mean really get engaged. In other words, yeah. raise your hand to participate in a committee. Raise your hand to, get, to take a leadership role. And, and I, I, I tell people, I, I cannot emphasize enough, as you are so junior, it is important to step out of that uncom- that comfortability and ask for participation. Ask to raise your hand and say, yes, that's what I want to do. Um, and I, I cannot tell you, I, I tell people one of the best things I learned early in my career are elected officials. And I always tell people, particularly the senior level comms people, mm-hmm. what makes that different than some of the others? And when you look at them, many of them have had public affairs, government relations experience. Mm-hmm. So I started out in that area. So I have learned early when you walk into a room and you're uncomfortable, you stand to the side and you canvass the room. And you take a deep breath and you just do a beeline into the room. And when you see an elected official go to a table of 10 or a table of 12, what they do is they handshake everybody's hand. This is all private to prior to COVID, shake everybody's hand, even not knowing them. Get out of that comfort zone yeah. and really take risks and introduce yourself, mm-hmm. make yourself known. Now, I'll put a caveat, Judith. I, you're asking this question, you're new and you're coming in. Be very mindful of people's schedules, be very mindful of people's workload. Because I've seen this happen with my board, which Peter um, serves on the board of the LeGrand Foundation. And I've seen many of our, and these are my words, many of our kids want to get access to our board members. And what they want to do is send a novel to a board member. So Gail Hyman is the CEO of Weber Shamwick, the second largest PO firm in the world. She served on the board for 19 years at the foundation. So why would you send an email to Gail Hyman, who is running a big operation that is evolving? You don't want to do that. I tell people, use that subject heading as a way to communicate, stay away from novels, because what happens is I will save a novel and I will probably, in most cases, never get back to it.
2: Mm hmm.
1: So so you said you mentioned opportunities for elected officials, we talked about PRSA Silicon Valley. Uh, What about other networks? What would you say are other networks, um, Peter?
5: Yeah, for for new graduates, I mean. There is a huge talent shortage at that level of strong writers, folks that want to get into public relations, journalism, communications, and there are great training grounds where you know you can get a, a full time paid entry level internship or uh, you know initial role with uh, you know a boutique like you know ProSec Partners or Brunswick or and, and just get you know a, a real great diverse uh, set of experiences across different clients, different industries before. You have to pick what you know, what your specialty is going to be. Uh, I, I wouldn't forget about things like writing skills and you know, executive presence and having a well-managed career. We're seeing a lot of that being lost at the entry level, and a lot of you know, the the great resignation that's happening without a, an idea of what your next step is going to be, and um, you know, that's that's going to bring the bar a little bit lower in terms of just impressing people and managing your career and that, you know, take advantage of that if you are a new grad, because uh, there's a lot of opportunity out there. hmm
2: hmm
3: Oh, that's great. I do think I would add just to just to Peter's point, I think the agencies are a fantastic training ground and I don't care what size agency you go to. So a boutique is wonderful and you'll get different experiences and a hands-on experience than you would in a big agency, but the training there might be different. You'll have access to different resources. So it is a fantastic place to take your first step that also introduces you to client relationships um, and potential opportunities in-house, right? Even after just a couple of years. So it's a for anybody looking to take their first step and how do I get from being a grad and maybe having had a summer internship to how do I get a real job in this space and I don't know anybody, mm-hmm. the best place to start. So I mm-hmm. certainly encourage folks to look there. And they have a, uh, to Peter's point, there's <laughs> there's a, a, a short shortage of talent at that level right now. So yeah. lots of opportunity.
1: No, I agree. And also just the diversity of industries that you're exposed to is exactly. just, you know, amazing. Um, one question, um, and I was thinking about this myself too: is what about um, DEI goals? How are you helping uh, your clients prioritize uh, DEI? And uh, you know, what are some of the? I'm sure there's challenges. <laughs> um, you know, how do you counsel them uh, in terms of um, you know some of their commitments that they've made and making sure that they're walking the walk? Um, Kim, did you want to chime okay. in there?
4: I, well mine is a little different and that is in most cases when clients are coming to me they're yeah. coming to me being intentional they okay, have that's true. a commitment to bring in a racially diverse candidate so that's starting. that's the baseline um so when they're coming to me they have already made that decision they need to diversify their workforce that's mm-hmm. com- particularly in the senior ranks so mm-hmm. that's a given the the challenge that often takes place is they will have this notion that every diverse candidate would bring all of the components yeah. to the table. And if there has been lack of opportunity for that particular target group, you can't compare it apples to that- oranges. You have to stay in the lane. You have to really show the client that the client, while the candidate may not have experience in terms of government relations or public affairs, they do have this breadth of storytelling, strong writing skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, I refer to as executive presence, which I think a lot of people fail to realize that plays a factor. You can assume that if you're looking for a CCO that you don't have executive presence because you have to go into the boardroom. You have to deal with senior leadership. Um, So at the end of the day, uh, at least my clients, I can speak specifically, have made a conscious decision that filling a role with a really high quality diverse candidate is critical to their operation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Peter, do you have anything to add to that as well?
5: So, yeah, you know, we we have a a great track record across, you know, presenting a diverse slate and making sure that we, you know, bring certain folks to the finish line there. But, you know, it's it's a very, it's it's not something that a a team can come to us and and expect to, you know, snap their fingers and just solve their diversity problem with a communications hire. Uh, You know, thinking about how to cultivate a pipeline of uh, you know internal diversity uh, at the lower levels, so that you can think about succession planning into mid and senior level roles within your team. Uh, you, you know, when, when you focus only on that, you know, CCO hire or uh, you know the top person, um, the candidate pool in general is just more challenging. So when you put that that layer on top of it, uh, you, you know, you don't have um, like Kim said, you can't look for every single ideal candidate attribute that you're looking for. And you need to think a little bit more longer term about it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I, longer term, is important. Yeah, I just want to. I just want to add that um, yeah. this is this is a major initiative of the National PRSA to to encourage uh, diversity in, in all of our thinking. And I have done a number of programs in that area to to bring to highlight this and and to make the point that it's really something that we should be bringing as an education to our our clients and making bringing this up to a level of discussion on a regular basis. And what I have done with searches is I have injected that into the discussion, um, whether they did or not. And in most cases, I have to say that does not roll off the tongue. Um, we are not there the yet in terms of but now Kim because of where Kim sits he is in the very fortunate position of people coming to him already sold so that's a wonderful place to be in in many of the situations that I am involved in and I have to say that even when there are diverse staff there it has to be brought up and and discussed as as something that they're there is a priority to see if what we can do. And in many cases, and this is this also becomes an issue, in many cases I'm able to do some work in terms of bringing a diverse candidate, you know, at least bringing diverse candidates to attention of the hiring organization. But the hiring ratio based on the number of candidates that you bring is, is not that great. But there at least is, you know, an effort to bring that into the conversation and I, it's it's a it's a process that has to just be yeah. top of mind.
1: Yeah agreed. Um, so this is a great question um Doran Aronson. You were to asking about experience in terms of where candidates went to school. Do they need an MBA still or or do they I mean do they need an MBA at all? And where does that how much does that play into some of the the candidates that you're looking for to Um, Jennifer,
3: um, I would say, um, I would say very rarely does where you went to school play into the conversation and, and and certainly depending on a role, right? If it's not a comms role, that's a different conversation, but, but comms and marketing too. I think rarely it's that it's more, what have you done? What have your experiences been? Where have you contributed? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, um, uh, you know where a person has gone to school is great, and it's formative, and it can help you also build that network we were talking about earlier. But that is not a criteria or a strong criteria for hiring for these roles. It really mm-hmm. is about what you've done and what the core skill set
5: might mm-hmm. be that you bring to a role. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Peter, did you have anything to add to that as well?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's you know, an MBA can help in certain situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I do think that communications it continues to more and more gravitate towards supporting, you know, the CFO, business, financial communications and and having some commercial acumen to to do that successfully is, you know, is is an interesting idea. You can get that on the job, though. You know, you can get that through day to day exposure, raising your hand for, you know, interactions with investor relations and you don't need to, uh, you, you know, go and invest the time to do so. It, you know, if you have a great tuition reimbursement program, it's something to think about if you have the time, the resources. Uh, but like Jennifer said, it's not really a uh, you know a requirement for many of our open opportunities, and you know not, not a uh, not a roadblock.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I know we're getting close to the time, so this is a big topic to bring up. But resumes and what are some of the skills? What are some of the words that you're looking for on some of these resumes? And if you're in uh, more senior in your career, I'd love to hear a little bit about you know editing your resume. Do, are we you know that's that's always I know that you can go both yeah. ways on that. People want to put everything on there, or they just like just the first last ten years. Um, what do you think about that, Kim?
4: Well, I can tell you, thank you, Kim, because this is an area that I just had with a couple of candidates. I'm doing a couple searches right now where I'm literally inundated with resumes. And I tell candidates all the time, when you're interacting, and I'll speak for me, I won't make this generic in terms of all executive recruiters. I said, when you're working with me, assume I'm an algorithm. And what I mean by that is, if you are interested in the role in which I'm doing a search for my client, make sure your resume has keywords that's in that position specification. Uh-huh. And if it's not, assume I, as an algorithm, will kick it out. <laughs> because oftentimes I hear Kenneth say, Kim, I've applied for so many jobs at Amazon and Google, and they I never get a response. And I said, you know why? Because you take a generic resume and you submit your generic resume through the portal. There are algorithms there. Now you're dealing with a human being. Uh-huh. I am an algorithm. And so when you send me your resume, I always tell people, adapt your resume for every role you are interested in. And when you adapt your resume and you modify, and I'm not talking about embellishing or lying, be transparent, be very honest, because that is where I have I have discovered candidates that are truly committed and interested in the role I am seeking candidates for, when they take their resume and modify it for the job that I am doing on behalf of my client. Uh-huh. Because nine times out of 10, when that happens, they rise to the very top not only getting past me, but moving on through the process.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's really about looking at the job and not just gunning your resume out to everybody and assuming that th- the, you've hit the right words, so someone's going to pick it up. Yep. Got it. Mm-hmm. So um, going into the whole, again, going back to the, uh, I don't know if it's, it's ageism or it's just if you're more senior and you want to appear to be fresh and you start to edit your resume, are there Any thoughts that you might have on that, Um, Jennifer?
3: Um, Look, I I think it's always important to be transparent. I think if you put a focus, um, you know, if you've got a longer resume and you're going back Fifteen or twenty years, um, putting a focus on the last ten, right, and giving more detail up top, um, and keeping those other roles because it's an important part of your story. You don't want someone to pick up your resume and say, "Well, did they only have ten? What did they do for ten years prior to that?" Yeah. Um, and what did the trajectory look like? So a little bit of detail is important. Uh-huh. Um, you don't want to have a ten-page resume either, so I think some brevity is 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 important. But um, I think that the um, uh, I think the ability to provide that upfront detail, especially for the most recent roles, is is pretty key. Yeah, but don't edit it. Don't shorten it. Don't delete those experiences. They're
5: important to your story.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Peter, I see your head nodding as well.
5: Yeah, I mean, I'm, so I'm a big believer in like the you know the clean conservative old school resume. <laughs> you know, years, dates of experience, titles, companies, bullets, and your name at the top is what we need to see. I mean, it it shouldn't go over two or three pages uh you know you don't need to get too crazy with logos and a huge story at the top and you know you can tailor it based on the opportunities but um you know if it's hard for us to read and figure out where you've worked you you know we only have so much time to scan over that and there was some heat mapping exercise where, you know, anyone in talent, HR, recruiters, they look at, you know, where you went to school, your company, your experiences, your name, where you live, and like your your eyes go to those places. So you just want to make sure everything speaks out, and that it's not too busy. And don't, you know, don't don't try to recreate the wheel here. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Karen, one thing I I keep saying is, um, people tend to use a lot of adjectives, and self describe themselves as excellent <laughs> and that is the biggest turnoff. Uh-huh. um i mean why would somebody believe that you know it's not like this is a second party endorsement so the way i describe um the way i describe people being really effective with a resume is to strip out all those things and and i i use this phrase from i think from from old old Police. Center. This is just the facts, ma'am. Yes. Just the facts. But the facts are powerful. So, for example, if somebody is in a current position at a very senior level, I say to them, if put right up at the top, you know, instead of putting all this twenty years of a strategic background and blah, blah blah blah, say senior corporate vice president, blah, Fortune five hundred, you know, whatever it is, and that's a fact, and mm-hmm. that's a powerful fact. And that's what you have to do to get people's attention because they go, aha, yes, my client is a senior, you know, was yeah. looking for that scale, that kind of person. Yeah. I'll read this. Mm-hmm. I'll read this. But if they say I'm strategic like everybody else, and I have 20 years experience like everybody else, it goes flat. You know, so yeah. try to be rigorous. That's yeah. that's really important. Drip it down to the basics.
1: Got it um great advice great advice and um we are hitting the time i can't even believe this is this went by so quickly so many things that we still could talk about um but i just want to thank everybody uh for your time kim jennifer peter judy um we'll definitely if we haven't already done it we'll be sharing your linkedin to all the folks that are on the call um and uh it's Great segue to uh, next week because next week's topic is all about networking. Imagine (laughs) that, So, which is um, definitely, so the title is Networking the Key to a Successful Career in PR. So I think that that's gonna be really helpful um, based upon all of the conversations we've had about expanding your network. So again, thank you everyone for joining us and uh, we'll be putting our notes out on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you haven't already joined us there, uh, please do so. And uh, think about joining the PRSA Silicon Valley and becoming a board member. So I'm gonna hand it off to Vanessa
0: to close. You did such an awesome job. I want to make sure we're respectful of everyone's time. Yep. Thank you to everyone. We will see you next week. Thank you to our sponsors, Edelman, Boca Communications, and Weber Shandwick. Mm-hmm. We heart you. See you next week, everyone. Bye from PRSA Silicon Valley.
4: Thank you.